Good morning, church. And good morning to those of you online. We are going to be in Mark chapter 14. If you would like to turn to your Bibles to that place. Today I would like to talk to you about extravagance. And I thought that might be the title of the message today. Then I thought the title of this sermon might be the, the best sermon you have ever smelled. So stay tuned. So we're in Mark chapter 14. If it's most of you are there, I would like to jump in and read this. What I'd like to do is to read it, to go through it, to give you a, a pass of on the surface what's actually going on, kind of get a sense of that, translating the culture. Then I would like to read it again or go through it again and say, why did she do this? What's going on? And then maybe we can go through it again and say, how does this apply to me in today, in 2022 on Cape Cod? So I'd like to just camp out here, Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. And it says, And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For the poor you always have with you, and whenever you wish, you can do them good. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. So that's Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. I would commend to you Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13, which also has the same story. I would point to you John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, which also has the same story. Usually the three synoptic gospels have the similar stories. This time Luke has a different story and John picks this up. Um, the other thing is this is not the same instance that is recorded in Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 39. It's a different anointing, if you will. And just to put this to rest, in John chapter 11 verse 2 it says, And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So we're very clear on who this is. So what I want to do is take a few moments and walk through this, because this is very atypical, and I would say we are not a smell-based culture. So this is kind of a weird thing. I want to translate that. But I want to just ask some questions. How many of you are in high school? Raise your hands. 
I'm so sorry for you, but uh, hey, that, I see you in the back. That's not true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you're in high school, they often have you do the literary evaluation, your five W's. Remember who, what, when, where, why, how. That's not a W, and that's six. Whatever, but the, the point is you ask those questions. So let's ask those questions. When did this happen? Six days before the Passover, or about a week or so, something like that. Some versions say a little quicker, but it's really before a week before the crucifixion, after Palm Sunday. Okay, so that's when. Where is this? It says right there, it's in Bethany. And and again, I, this is a quote for a, a thing for everybody. The places in the Bible. This is not Middle Earth. Like, this isn't Hobbit Town or some fictional place, okay, Caleb? This is like not, you know, Lord of the Rings. This is not Narnia. This is a real place. This is Bethany. And Bethany is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. It's probably a suburb. You could go there today. And where specifically in Bethany? Simon's house. So that begs the question, who's there? Simon, it's his house, and I love his nickname, Simon the Leper. Dan the Bald Guy. Jason the Bald Guy. All right, pick on myself, I get it. All right, there's many other adjectives I could use. The chunky monkey, right? So we could go on, but that tells you something. There wouldn't be a dinner party at Simon the Leper's house if Simon was still a leper, because leprosy was contagious. So have you ever heard of a leper being healed by Jesus before in the Gospels? Okay, there's a clue there. There's some literary detective work. And they probably called him Simon the leper, or Simon formerly known as the leper, Prince, the artist formerly known as Prince, or Simon formerly known as the leper, whatever. Simon the leper, because you had Simon Peter, and you had a bunch of other Simons and you had in Africa, you had bearded Chris and short Chris or whatever you guys called yourselves to distinguish yourselves. So that's probably what's going on. So this is Simon's house. You got that, right? Who else is in the story? Um, it says the other disciples and we know from the account in Matthew and the account in John, the other disciples at the least were there and specifically Judas. We know in these accounts, Lazarus, was here. Anybody remember Lazarus? Kind of had a little problem where he died. <laughs> Jesus kind of raised him from the dead. All right. And then who else is related or associated with Lazarus? I told you the two sisters, Martha and Mary. You ever hear about them before? Yeah. Okay. So what I want you to take away from this is Martha, Mary, and Lazarus are related. They're brother and sisters. It's highly probable, and I can walk you through this offline. I won't do it now, but that Simon was their cousin because they all lived in the same town and all of this. So this is family. So as an aside, this is a bonus point, not in my notes. You can have this for free. You can write this down. God likes to work in families. And there's something about that with families. 
that he will, if you are honoring the Lord in your family, he's going to work in your family. I love that about this. So, so what's happening in this story? Dinner. Okay. And it says they're reclining at the table. So now to all the teenage boys in the room, that doesn't mean bad posture. Okay. That doesn't mean you're eating like this. It means back in the day, they used to recline like this because they were short tables on the ground. That's just how you would eat. You've seen those pictures of the Romans in their togas or the Greeks. That's just the culture, okay? So it's not bad posture, bad table manners, son. I'm looking at you. So this is about dinner. And really then, I have to then read the next verse, that first verse or the different parts of that verse. What's the deal here? What is going on? Let me just tell you, an alabaster box or jar or vial was a very common means of carrying aromatic liquids. Uh, alabaster was from a certain place, a certain kind of rock. It was very easy to scoop out and carve, but it would hold the fragrance in it. Uh, the perfume or ointment, really, this was to help refresh someone after they had traveled. I mean, we've got the AC going, it's a warm day. In that culture, it was hot, it was crowded, and you would often, if you were hosting somebody, offer them a little perfume when they came in. It was a polite way of saying, please cover your stench. Welcome to my house, and I've provided for you, cover your stink. Uh, it was pure nard or spike nard. That was actually forbidden by the Pharisees because that was so excessively valuable and the spikes on the plant that created this smell were, were very interesting, but it was from actually the Indian subcontinent and it was traded in that region and it was incredibly, incredibly valuable. You see that it was saved almost for regal or royal uses. And then that makes me wonder, how did Mary get this? So, okay. So it says she breaks it. And when we read that in the English, I mean, you imagine, you know, somebody taking a jar of perfume and smashing it on Jesus' head. Let me assure you, that's not what the Greek is saying here. She probably, it's meaning she broke the seal, popped the wax off, maybe broke the neck of the flask and then poured it on him. It's not, I'm smacking Jesus with a beer bottle, okay, just so you know. All right, I want to give you this sense. And it was very, very, very costly. It was over 300 denarii which how many people here have ever been paid 300 denarii before? Have you? Okay. <laughs> what they're saying is, hey, this is about a year's worth of wages for a common worker. That's about a, you know, a denarii a day, a dollar a day, a denarii a day. So the point of this is it was very costly, a year's worth of wages. It was likely, therefore, a family heirloom that they had saved up and maybe uh, their parents or their family had been involved in their profession or something like that. So I'm trying to give you a little sense to unpack this, but really, I, I still don't think we get it. I don't think we understand smell in our culture. Um, so what's up with this pouring over his head? What's the function of anointing in that culture? I'll give you a list in a minute, but I want to demonstrate that. I want to give an object lesson or lessons. Really, 
I'll, I'll run through the list quickly. When you would anoint someone or pour oil or perfume or something like that in that culture, it really was a sign of honor and respect by the host. It was a sense of refreshing that I mentioned. It was practically to cover the stench from someone who had been in sweaty, hotty, crowded conditions, been on a journey. Sometimes it was medicinal. Okay, there is that. Sometimes it was preventative. Sometimes it was to prepare bodies for burial. Sometimes in a religious sense, it was to consecrate someone or set them apart for a particular role or ministry or even to call them to a position. But usually it was to establish a king or to honor existing royalty. So let me demonstrate this with an object lesson. I've asked my family to tell me when I've gone too far. But um, Old Spice is something that... Oh, who's doing that? Thank you. This serves that function of an anointing, if you will, of armpits, if I'm allowed to say armpits from the pulpit. So how many teenage boys here? Stick your feet up, please. Caleb, Peter, my son left. Stick your feet up in the air. Here's another anointing. This is Lysol. Those of you online, I just sprayed Lysol on teenagers' boys' feet, and the look on their face was one of absolute disgust. So I'm going to skip a bar of soap. You all get that. What's next? Oh, medicinal. How many people have been to someone's house, particularly now with COVID, and you walk in and they say, hi, would you mind putting some hand sanitizer on? So here you go, Dan. <laughs> Thanks so much. There's other medicinal purposes. Um, one of my favorites. Anybody here ever have Vicks Vapor Rub? I was going to have Tahila help, but like if you're doing a cadaver or something or you're gutting a deer, you put some right here like this, I can't smell a thing. And they used to do that. So Vicks Vapor Rub, Judo, okay? Does he need any? Or? Okay. And then um, here's another one. I hesitate to bring this up because I don't want to offend a lot of the women, but there's essential oils, right? This one is, is mint, and I'll let you read the fine print on all the potential values of this. You look like you could use a little. Can hold out your hand. She's like, why did I come here this morning? Um, what's this? That's mouthwash? No, um, burn relief. That's medical. Oh, here we go. So that's all of that. But then this is more along the lines of what we're talking about. Brute by Fabergé. Right? So this is aftershave. You can tell with my COVID beard, it hasn't been used for a while, but hold your hands up, Scott. 
That, did you see how much I, I can smell it over here through the Vicks Vapor Rub. Woo. Thank you, Scott. We're friends still, I hope. Um, but that's the kind of dumping that we're talking about. And then this, this is finally the good stuff. Now this, I can't do this. Maybe I'll do it to my wife because this is hers. It's a family heirloom. Her mother had it. I'll just give a little bit. Yeah, I can even smell the brute through all that Vicks vapor rub right on my upper lip. So, oh. so I wanted to demonstrate. Can you guys in the back smell the? Oh yeah. All right. Um, I wanted to demonstrate that for a couple reasons. One, because again, we're not a smell-oriented culture. Right, and when I dump that brute out, any other guy want the good stuff, or not so much the good stuff? But can you? Yeah, if you need to. All right, you can smell this. So I wanted you to have an olfactory image, if there is such a thing, of what we read about. That when Mary dumps a much more pungent and much more valuable perfume on Jesus, the whole room knew instantly, right? They knew. And they're like, what is going on? What is this? So there's a lot there. What I would say is if you come to my house, typically I'm not going to be dumping perfume on you. And Scott, it's safe. I won't do the brute thing on you. I'm not... I'm not going to do aftershave unless you really, really need it. I won't dump something on you. So what I'll probably do is offer you a glass of ice cold water or a cup of tea or coffee, or maybe if it's a really special occasion, a, a glass of wine, maybe something like that. So I want to come back to this anointing later on. Jesus points us to it in verse eight, partly was to prepare his body for the burial. And that's how they would embalm or prepare people back in that day is with a lot of these aromatic spices. But we've gone through all of this and I want you to see more so, why would she do this? Why would somebody dump not only, I mean, brood is brood. It's, you know, five bucks or 10 bucks a jug. Sorry, we're making the baby cry here, but the why would you dump something like that on somebody? What would compel you to make that happen? I want to come back to that. The other thing I want you to see in verses 4 and 5 is you can see the disciples' reaction, okay? Especially Judas in other accounts. This is one account of indignation. And they're focused on the practical, right? The implications. And on the surface, that sounds very correct. And other accounts actually show they're greedy and they're thinking that this is a loss for themselves. And the thing we're supposed to contrast with this passage, 
is the disciples, and particularly Judas, have their focus on something else, whereas Mary has her focus on Jesus. That's the point of this. Mary is focusing on Jesus. Okay. The other thing I'd like you to see in verse 6 is, has anybody here maybe ever been criticized for doing the Jesus thing? Ever been criticized for following Christ? You ever been criticized for doing what you think is right, even sometimes amongst church members? Look at verse 6. Jesus has her back. I want you to remember that. Jesus has her back. We'll come back to that. We'll revisit that. But I would love to hear Jesus say to other people on my behalf, leave them alone. What they're doing is good to me, is good for me. And there's a challenge perhaps there for us if you kind of read through the text. There's a challenge. What am I doing that Jesus is saying, that's good to me? And what am I doing that pleases him that maybe other people are going, what? And he says, leave him alone. You don't mess with Mary because she's doing something good to me. We'll come back to that. The other thing I want to dispel before we move on is in verse 7. I don't think Jesus is saying at all to not take care of the poor. In fact, much of his ministry is to the poor and the downtrodden. He knows that sinful human systems will always exploit and oppress people, and there will be a continual need to combat such systems. What he is saying is that right at that moment, okay, a, a few days before the crucifixion, there's something greater, something more important that they or we need to focus on. And really there's a limited amount of time left, less than a week, for them to be with him. And he's saying you need to focus on that. Okay, is everybody with me so far? Sorry if I annoyed you with the smells. Everybody with me so far? You got what this is about at kind of the surface level. We've translated some of the cultural stuff. Okay, I, I promise if you come visit, we're not dumping stuff on you or anything. Especially, yeah. Are you saying that Hold on. I, I partly will be saying that. Let me get to that. I want to go through the story again. So thank you for that question. Time is perhaps short or shorter than we think, but we'll get to that. So verse 3 of chapter 14 says, And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For the poor you always have with you. And whenever you wish, you can do them good. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before and for the burial and truly i say to you wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her i want to ask you to pause and ask the question why did mary do this 
why did she anoint Jesus? Why did she dump this costly jar? I mean, when you read it, the text, it's like she's emptying this out on him. Why would she do that? I, I'm gonna, it's rhetorical. Let me answer my own question. So, I know. At first, I think at the superficial level, this could be something about hospitality, although that was pretty excessive hospitality. So maybe that was it, but that's possible. I think second, she could have been maybe expressing gratitude, saying thanks, if you will, for all that Jesus had done for her. Okay, Think about what has happened in this woman's life. She has been friends with Jesus. We know she has been listening to his teaching and going around with him and providing her home as a place for Jesus to hang out at, which is a very cool thing that any one of us can do. That alone is valuable. And hey, if Jesus wants to hang out with me at my house, I'm thankful for that. That's, I'm gratitude. The gratitude is awesome. But more than that, he healed her cousin from leprosy. More than that, he raised her brother from the dead. So there's a ton of stuff, exactly. And I think there had been a lot that Jesus had done for her and in her and for her family. And I don't think this is a transactional sense where Jesus is like, all right, I'll, I'll heal your cousin, Simon, and I'll raise Lazarus, but I want... I want this honor. I want you to dump perfume on my head. It's not like a bargain. I don't think that's how Jesus operates, okay? And I don't think her thinking was, well, he did all that for me, so I've got to do something for him to pay him back. I don't think that's what this was. But I think there was an underlying sense of, Jesus has done a lot for me. I am so honored to have him with me. Do you get the distinction, the subtlety there, perhaps? And this is my prayer for us as a church Hopefully each one of us have experienced Jesus doing something in our lives. Hopefully each one of us have seen Jesus work in our family members. And if not, let's ask him to do that. In fact, we're going to call a timeout or an audible. We're going to pause and we're going to pray for that. you join me in prayer for a second? Hey, Jesus, thank you for a great story we're in the middle of thank you for working in mary's family and in her life thank you for working in lazarus and simon and i pray by the power of your word and the power of your holy spirit that you would work in the lives of each person here today in this building each person that watches this online today or maybe even in the future i ask that you would work in their lives so that they would be able to see your majesty and they would be able to brag on what you have done. Not because we need you to do anything, not because you need that for us to honor you, but because we're asking for it and you like to treat your family well. It's in your name we pray, amen. So I think there's more than just gratitude by Mary. The third thing as we see in verse eight, uh, she had been listening to his teachings, right? Remember, don't be a Martha, be a Mary. Martha's all serving. Mary's sitting at his feet listening. And Jesus sticks up for her then. Jesus sticks up for her here. But 
I think she might have been listening and he was probably saying, hey, I'm going to die. I need to die. I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb. And I think that was actually an open secret among the Pharisees. You read in the gospel accounts all around Jerusalem. It's like, oh, dude, this Jesus guy, he's like really ticking off the leaders. They're coming after him. Like they, it was not unaware that people were like, he better be careful. And like we read in John's passage, the Pharisees show up to this after the fact and they see Lazarus and here's how twisted their logic is. Ooh, Jesus rose Lazarus from the, the dead. Everybody's going to believe in him because that's impossible. We probably ought to kill Lazarus too. It's like, Seriously? So he was facing opposition. And she knew in this moment perhaps of emotion that she was anointing him in preparation for this burial coming. That's probably prophetic, and I'm not sure she knew it intentionally. I think Jesus knew it. But I think Jesus explains that she was in some regards preparing his body to be buried after he would be crucified. So even though we might not know what God's plans are in the fact of our devotion and worship of God. Sometimes God can even use that, even if we don't know what his ultimate intent is. And I think that's an important thing. The fourth thing I would like you to look at this, and I'm asking a question. Okay, if it's not superficial, if it's not just gratitude, maybe it's part of that. Maybe it's anointing for the, maybe it's not, what could it, what else could it be? Adoration, but I think she probably thought after listening to him, being a devout Jew, looking forward to the Messiah coming, I think she was thinking this is the rightful king. And I want to anoint him. Recall this is right after Palm Sunday. And what are they saying on Palm Sunday? Hosanna, welcome, the king is back. You know, hooyah. And I think... At some level, perhaps, she want to be the first one to publicly proclaim that Jesus is the king. And this act might prove that. I think that's a possibility. I'm still not convinced, though, that's ultimately what was driving Mary to do this. Here's the, I think, the take-home points of, of this, if you'll allow me to, to read this or, or think this through. I think ultimately the reason that Mary extravagantly, like she went overboard, it was excessive. I think the reason she was extravagant in anointing Jesus is because not only had she heard his teaching, not only had she listened to it, not only had she seen his mighty miraculous acts in her family's life, but I think she wanted to anoint him as Messiah. And that's a little different level than king. And gentlemen, I hate to say it, I'll say it publicly, probably to my own shame, but fellas, sometimes the women just get stuff before we do. Are, are the women saying amen or, or, or not, not anything? So I think there's this sense that she actually understood perhaps what Jesus had been teaching. She understood the Old Testament. And she wanted to anoint him as Messiah. I think this is actually a fulfillment of some prophecies in Psalm 45 and Isaiah 61. At the end of the day, what we would say in our vernacular is what she did 
was an act of total, unreserved, pure, and complete worship. That's what this is about. At the end of the day, sorry it took me 30 minutes, whatever, to get here. This is about worship. Extravagant worship of Jesus. She was absolutely extravagant. She was lavish. She was over the top in her honor and recognition and focus on Jesus. She probably did not even know the full ramifications of her actions, but she set aside all else, took something that was precious and costly and valuable to her, and she gave it to Jesus. Okay, She wanted to honor him, and I think she wanted to point other people to him. And based on her life experiences, she is just overwhelmed. She knows what's coming. She probably has a foreboding sense of that, and she is pointing people to Jesus And she's saying, I want you to see him as the Savior, as the Redeemer, as the Healer, as the Life Giver, as the Master, as my friend, as the Reviver, as the Messiah, as the King. I want you to see that. And that is worship. You don't need to have a song for that. You don't need to have any special bells, lights, whistles. You can simply point to Jesus, point out who he is unreservedly lavishly all in wholehearted and say this is why i want you to know about jesus because this is who he is to me that is worship okay i'm not a worship leader you would not want me to be a worship leader i can't even play the radio so the point is it's not about the songs it's not about anything. it's about the heart of worship which is extravagant in this example from Mary of how devoted she is to point out who she thinks he is. I would say she set aside all else and gave a lot to him to the point that other people, even those who were closer to Jesus than her, criticized them. She gets criticized for being so all in in her worship of Jesus. All right, hang on. I think there's a warning here for some of us, there's a warning, particularly those of us who've been in the church. If somebody is doing something that doesn't look logical, that doesn't make sense, isn't practical, if somebody is wholeheartedly, unreservedly, extravagantly worshiping Jesus, and we criticize it because it's not how we would do it, or we're not aware of all the facts, or it just doesn't seem like it would be impactful or the wisest use of resources. I think there's a warning here for us to be careful what we say. Okay? Did you hear that? There's a warning. I'm not saying it's a a curse or anything that's overt. I'm just saying there's a warning that if we see other people extravagantly, lavishingly pouring their life into the things of Jesus, We'd be wise to watch what we say about that, even if it doesn't make sense to how we're thinking about things. All right. Again, she was unreserved. She held nothing back. She didn't care what other people thought, and she simply pointed people to Jesus. And there's something about courageousness in her worship here to be able to go in and do... I mean, if you're an inheritant and there's Mary, but you know Martha, and you know Martha already is really practical... And then there's Lazarus, and he's just been raised from the dead, so he he may not be caring too much. But this is a family heirloom worth a year's worth of wages. 
and you take it and you just dump it on top of Jesus, you know Martha's going, what? That's partly mine. You know Lazarus is going, well, wait a second. And other people are going, she didn't care what they thought because she wanted to point people to Jesus. And I would pray that we would have that kind of courage in our worship of Jesus. It would be so lavish and so extravagant that people would literally smell it like you smell Scott Curry right now as you walk through the town and walk through the streets. All right. The thing I would point out about this, everybody calls Jesus the Messiah. You see that revelation and unveiling over the course of his three years of ministry. This was the first time, first time that Jesus was publicly informally anointed as Messiah and King. It was also representing the first time that he was understood to be fully prepared symbolically with the perfume preparing him as the Passover lamb as a sacrifice for our sins. First time it's been anointed. And he's covering our sins once and for all. And that's why we are to remember this story that you see in verse 9 whenever we share the gospel. Ultimately, this is what the gospel is about. Hey, everybody, look. This is Jesus. He's my redeemer. He's my king. He's my savior. He's the life giver. He's the master. And I'm all in for this guy. That's what worship is about. Okay. So we've done two passes through this. I promise you one more and then we'll wrap up. And I'm not like other pastors that say we're in conclusion and then go for 20 more minutes. I've got about seven to eight minutes, okay? What does this have to do with us today? What's the application for our lives today? And read it to your point I'm returning to now. I think all of us probably have a lot less time with Jesus left than we think we do. And I don't say that prophetically. I don't say next Tuesday the rapture is happening, pack your bags. I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we probably have less time than we realize, all of us, whatever that looks like. Are we making Jesus a priority in our time, in our lives? Are we making this a priority in our worship of him? I think there's a bit of a nudge there. At least there was less than a little nudge, more like a smack to me when I was preparing this. But there's a nudge for you all, a gentle, gentle warning. We have probably less time with Jesus left than we think. Are we making that time with him a priority? That's an application. That would be good enough to quit, but I've got a little time. So I think all of us have a range of issues impacting us. There's a lot hitting us. There's a lot facing us. And we were talking about that even before the service. I was mentioning to some of you just, you know, it's tough. And I'm not talking the Patriots don't have a real clear answer for quarterback tough. I'm talking life tough. People are dying. People are sick. People are getting cancer. People at work are getting ground up and spit out. People aren't being able to pay the bills. Life is tough. We get that, okay? There's a lot facing us. The question I have for us, the question I have for myself, is are we able to lay all of that aside? Because Mary had this stuff too. 
Are we able to lay all of that aside, remember what God has done for us, and abandon ourselves in worship of him? That's a choice we have to make. Have we set aside all else and lost ourselves in worship of him? Is our focus on Jesus enough to point out who he is to others so they can even see him, even if we get criticized? Is that how strong our focus is on Jesus? Are we extravagant in how we approach Jesus? And I hate to ask this question, but I had to ask it. Do we dishonor him by being cheap with our worship? If I really wanted to honor Scott, I would not have dumped brute on him. I would have gotten the really, really good stuff. Maybe not Old Spice. <laughs> okay. You just ruined the moment. Thank you. So I, I think there's a lot we have to take a look at. What really is it that's going to cost us to worship Jesus? I think we've had it easy. I think we're used to just giving the simple and the cheap. But Jesus is worthy of our extravagance. Do you hear that? Does our devoted adoration of Jesus run through both the good times and the bad times? Does our extravagant worship cost us anything? Hear this, hear this, hear this. I think some of the most difficult and costly and therefore precious times we can abandon ourselves in honoring and worshiping Jesus is when we're going through the ringer, when we're facing all the tough stuff, and we choose to worship him anyways. Can I say that again? The most costly, difficult, and therefore precious times we can worship Jesus is when we're going through the tough stuff and we choose to worship him anyways. That is the kind of extravagance I think Jesus is talking about. I would also ask, are there family heirlooms or traditions or things of value or things of uh, historical or family perspective that maybe we need to give up? Okay, it's okay, it's fun to hypothetically crack an alabaster vial of perfume over Jesus hypothetically, but are there things in our lives that are holding us back that we need to give back to Jesus to fully worship him? I don't know the answer to that question. I'm posing lots of questions. I don't know what that would look like for each one of us, but I just ask, is it worth letting go of some things to fully honor him? Maybe you need to do that, maybe you don't. Okay. If I'm being honest, I see small snippets of this kind of extravagant worship here and there. I do see it. But this type of extravagant worship in our focus on God to the point of being ridiculed and deemed impractical is actually not all that common. And I, I would pray maybe we need to make it more common, if you'll allow me to say that. I fear the world around us. The reason is because Jesus is worthy, period, end of story. But I fear the world around us and our children, the next generation, if they don't see us doing that, if they don't grasp that in us, the church, the beauty and the value and the need for the extravagant devotion for Jesus, if we're not doing that, they don't have a shot. They don't have a hope. Returning to verse 9, we actually don't hear this much mentioned when we hear the gospel. 
maybe we should start doing that. But I would argue anytime the gospel is presented in its truth and authority, this is exactly what's happening. People are being pointed to Jesus in all of his unbridled, unadulterated glory. And I'm praying even right now in South Africa and Nepal and wherever we have members from our church doing that even this week and that that would happen. But I pray for each one of you, it would happen this week. We need to point out who Jesus is and get into crazy abandoned worship of him. Thank you. <laughs> so when we point out Jesus, when we do that, we see who he truly is. It's a memorial to him. It's an inadvertent honor to us and it serves God's larger purposes. I think it's accounted to us as good, and I would love God to say, that's a good job, you're doing good to me or for me, and it unleashes acknowledgement of God's active protection in our life, if you remember what he said in verse six. So if you're feeling like people are coming at you, worship God and see if he says, leave them alone. They're doing good things to me. That's my solution. Worship God. See if God says, leave him alone. Let's pray. Hey, Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for this story about Mary. I pray that it would come through even despite my lack of clarity and the choice of words that may or may not have been helpful. I pray that we would see Mary's extravagant worship, her smelly worship, and it would be an example to us, an encouragement to us, and just a reminder of how much you love extravagant gestures toward you. Uh, help us to truly see you for who you really are so we can respond accordingly. Help us to be extravagant because you alone are worth our extravagant worship. It's in your name we pray. Amen.